Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Harry and Lloyd. We're really doing it, aren't we, buddy? Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Luke's Diner. Leave your cell phone and problems out the door. Just shut up and eat your breakfast at Luke's Diner. <laughs> Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the movie podcast where we like to take the approach of analytical filmmakers and uh, Todd's a full-time producer and musician, which is funny. I feel like you don't talk that much about music. I'm I'm yeah. always yeah. I mean, you're really well, good. It's at, not a music podcast. That's true. That's a. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about music in the in the films. Yeah, that's true. When yeah. It, especially when it's really applicable. Yeah. Sure. It's such a life left behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although my son did say the other day, he, he said, "Daddy, are you gonna are you gonna put more music out in the world?" He Ooh. literally he said that. I was like. Shalom. Yes, I am. <laughs> now that you're asking for it, I absolutely will. That is awesome. So I tell him I play a show this year sometime. So, so we like to use all our, not just real world experience, but you know, professions and to some extent obsession, uh, which is apropos of the film we're doing today, which is Black Swan, mm-hmm. in case you're just binging this and not really paying attention to what you're listening to. Yeah. But yeah, we use kind of this deep dive approach of, tearing apart a movie, which is why we call it the pestle. It's like a mortar and pestle. We want to see what a thing is made of, grind it up and see what's in there that we can take away and uh, learn from and deconstruct. Yeah. I like that. Absolutely. I mean, we try to stay on topic every now and then we might say a few things that are not on topic, but you know, it comes from a, a place of, uh, of guidance and love. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and especially, you know, we always, even to the very, I would say the last, you know, 60, 90 seconds of the thing, we're still really well on topic. Even whenever we seem to go astray, it's always going to come back in one form or fashion. Right. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. Black Swan. And, and usually even when we kind of stray off topic, it has some kind of like reference to the either the film or what the film is addressing or what we think the film is addressing. Yeah, because that's kind of the fun thing about movies that, you know, we really love is a good movie can relate is universal in so many ways because even if it's something crazy like a sci-fi movie with aliens and explosions, like I've never been around explosions or aliens, but there's usually some central theme or something that's universal to people that you can take away and have a really good conversation about. Yeah. And that's always going to be the stuff that I think really excites us as uh, movie fans. Not that I don't want to see a cool explosion or anything, but uh, most explosions in real life aren't, aren't really the way you see it in movies. So right, yeah, I'll yeah. take that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That being said, we are covering uh, Black Swan today. So if you haven't seen the 2010 epic movie, go make sure and watch it and then come back and join us for the rest of the discussion. Yes. We're going to talk about several things. We'll discuss a super 16 millimeter film, which Black Swan was shot on and how it affects the story. We'll talk about building tension and anxiety talk about obsession and art and other such things and stuff and things. Uh, so a quick synopsis of the film, a committed dancer wins the lead role in a production of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake only to find herself struggling to maintain her sanity. It's directed by Darren Aronofsky screenplay by Mark Heyman, Andres 
Hines and John McLaughlin is starring Natalie Portman as Nina Sayers and the Swan Queen, Mila Kunis as Lily and the Black Swan, Vincent Cassell as Thomas and the Gentleman, Barbara Hershey as Erica Sayers and the Queen, and Winona Ryder as Beth McIntyre and the Dying Swan. Anyway, I've already chosen Veronica. So. Sorry. Okay, thank you. That's it? You're not going to try and change my mind? You must have thought it was possible. Otherwise, what are you doing here all dolled up? I came to ask for the part. Well, the truth is, when I look at you, all I see is the white swan. Yes, you're beautiful, fearful, fragile. Ideal casting. But the black swan, it's a hard fucking job to dance both. I can dance the black swan too. Really? In four years, every time you dance, I see you obsessed getting each and every move perfectly right, but I never see you lose yourself. Ever. All that discipline for what? I just want to be perfect. You what? want to be perfect. <laughs> Perfection is not just about control. It's also about letting go. Surprise yourself so you can surprise the audience. Transcendence. And very few have it in them. I think I do have it in them. Ah! You bit me? I can't, I can't believe you, you bit me. I'm sorry. Oh, that fucking hurt. <sighs> so I assume this hasn't been on your like repeat playlist of movies. I think this no. is probably only the third time I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel when you watch this movie? Uh, it's tense the whole time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it the, the sound design is incredible in the film. I mean, they, they use tension, uh, like sonic tension. I wouldn't even call it musical tension. I would call it sonic tension. Like in that clip is a perfect example. You can hear it start even before he engages with her, uh, physically. There's this, it's, it's supposed to kind of inform you and you hear these little like kind of rustling sounds that sound maybe like birds, obviously it happened throughout the film all the time, constantly. And it's a little insight into her head. It's a little insight into the way she's feeling in that particular moment right then. Like he says something that, that triggers a feeling in her. And so we hear this sound, this, and, and if you, I listen, I watch this on my headphones. So I heard, I mean, just panning all over the place. It's, it's beautifully designed. It just creates this massive tension while you, something will, will pan from left to right while something is, the volume is raising on the left. So it, you end, it ends up like kind of throwing you off a little bit, but then you find a balance and then it like rolls back and it's just like so en- engrossing. And, uh, they do it brilliantly throughout the film and, and it just, it'll bubble up someplace and then it'll either, it'll bubble up and go away or it'll bubble up and come to a, like a crescendo and then just fall off. 
or it'll hit like this big crash or something and just kind of fade away. It's it's really really awesome. That I mean, I'm glad you picked that clip because it's really the first time where you you kind of get the sense of what that even is. It happens throughout the whole movie, mm-hmm. like from the beginning, even not the very beginning, but from early on in the film, you you hear it, you hear, it and you're like, "What was that? What was that?" Because you at this point you don't really know what the movie's about yet. If you haven't True. seen it, you don't know, right? What what is really going to happen, or you know what the goal of the film is supposed to be. So you just hear these sounds. You're like, "What was that? What was that?" And you're looking for something on on the the screen that's going to tell you what that is but you don't see it unless you're looking at her and you're watching her emotional you know uh, transformation or her emotional response to whatever's happening yeah it's awesome dude that's cool yeah um yeah now it makes me want to go back and watch it with my headphones on it's because yeah it changes the the whole game yeah yeah dang yeah i guess general thoughts and opinions on the story like Watching someone obsess over their their art like this, in some ways, I definitely relate. I mean, in other ways, she is just completely off balance. Mm. Her anxiety over achieving perfection is tinkering with her sanity and destroying, you know, her life in some ways. But I mean, there's a lot of things that are interesting to me story wise about this. Not only that, but also I realized, you know, that this very plainly is Swan Lake. Like the movie itself is Swan Lake, slightly inverted. It, uh, I had to go back and read. I've never like seen Swan Lake you know, as a play or anything else mm-hmm. um, other than this film. So I had to go read like the Wikipedia entry of like, what's the kind of idea of this story? And it was interesting because it's this woman who was transformed into a swan who could only uh, be her true form again around the lake swan lake that was when she got to be a person again and then if she was to be someone's first love and they said that and this man said that he he would love her for the rest of his life that would break her curse and so to me this movie is kind of inverted in the sense that she's a person she only gets to be a swan when she's on stage and then he the uh the director is kind of her curse breaker he's the one that's going to finally get to get her to be a swan forevermore or you know something along those lines it's i don't know the story nearly well enough but just that was kind of what i pulled out of this as a movie i'm like oh okay this works really good as you know uh an inversion of the story itself which is so interesting and layered because you're talking about a movie portraying the story that they're telling in the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh induces that alone induces like uh, vertigo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So other than that, like this, that is probably as far as you and I can get into it because I know hell all about ballet or dancing, yeah. let alone that story. But yeah. How did you feel? Just, I mean the, the movie, uh, Natalie Portman doing her thing once again. What? I mean, in watching it this second time, this is the second time I've seen it. Watching it this second time, especially knowing the outcome and knowing where it's going, I really don't even feel like it's a story of her obsession. I feel like it's more of a story of, and, and this could be totally off and wrong because it does feel like an obsessive story. I feel like it's a, a story about like allowing your allowing your dark side to exist and not only to exist, but to make you the, the cult, like to culminate your entire potential. Like you can't be everything you're made to be 
that you're supposed to be, that you're capable to be, unless you have that dark side and you can tap into it. And she was never able to tap into it because of her mother. Her mother was just suffocating all the time. And at first, you don't even see it really. The first, the first moment you really see it is when she gives her the cake mm-hmm. uh, to celebrate that she got the, the swan, the white swan uh, roll, and she doesn't want to eat it. Natalie Portman doesn't want to eat it, and she gets pissed. And then, obviously, the music takes a turn, and she's about to throw it away. And you see this like almost evil, you know, side of her, and you're like, "Oh, this bitch is crazy." And that's the first like kind of like sign that you get. Okay, there's something off here, but you don't really, you know, know everything yet. Obviously, throughout the film, she's just kind of constantly trying to pull her back, hold her back. Um, because part of me understands because you want to protect your child, right? You, you don't want bad things to happen. Bad things could be, they try their best and they fail. So you have to prepare them for what that feels like to fail because they inevitably will at something. The problem here obviously was that, you know, she didn't fail. She got the role and her mother was still like scared that she was going off the rails. And I think that that essentially is what set her off the rails. If she had been able to tap into that dark side sooner, right? By the time she got, I mean, because, because she got that role because of that scene you showed. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right? And Mm -hmm. the first inkling, and he even says it later on when she's dancing and he's like, I saw the dark, that dark side of you, you know, you need to bring it out. So we, we see it. He sees that there's a little bit there. She's an amazing dancer, but she needs to tap into that. If she had been able to tap into that her whole life, if her mother had not been so strangling, strangling her, she would be able to dance more like Mila Kunis's, uh, character who was, yeah, she was rough around the edges, but she was definitely the black swan, right? In her dancing style. So with the dedication that Portman's character had, to her craft, like, and having that dark side that she was already able, used to. Cause she, that's the problem. She wasn't used to it. So all of a sudden she's immediately instantly having to masturbate and, you know, like having these fantasies about women and drinking and doing drugs, like instantly think about that. If you've never done that stuff and then all of a sudden to, to reach your dream, you have to do something that is completely not who you've ever been. The, you know, and not only that, but you realize that, you know, that's inside you already. And then it just like explodes out. Yeah. You're going to lose your fucking mind, man. I totally see that. So I think for me, it was more of a story of, of her like breaking out essentially and, and, or or her dark side breaking out, which we all have one. Yeah. And I loved, I loved her attacking her mother, you know, like, like telling her mother to shut up and go away. Cause, cause, I, what's the actress's name that plays that role? Barbara Hershey. Oh, yeah, she was amazing because I hated her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was incredible. You look at her and you're like, she's creepy. And what's with people in corners now in movies? They got creepy people in corners. You turn off the light and you turn it back on and there's a creepy person standing in a corner. I can't stand that. I can't stand it anymore, man. 
because <laughs> that happens at least once in this movie maybe twice and it's just like oh my god yeah the, the most brutal scene in is obviously the the masturbation scene when uh, oh she's god. like really getting into it and the first time you know i'm in the theater i'm watching this i'm like wow this is getting really hot and heavy and natalie porton's going for oh my god there's her yeah. mother right there and like it just completely pulls me way back deep into the story because now I'm I'm horrified along with her, yeah. and I'm identifying with her Dude, so hard. The sound design did that. Yeah, it, whatever sound they made when it cuts to her because sleep in the corner. You're because like, they oh once God. again. Now this is this movie probably would be in my top hundred, but they also do. Uh, but it's in reverse. They do a, a jump cut. That's you know we're punching out from a close up. Oh yeah, and it's super fast. So I mean they maybe let it last for three or four frames yeah. before jumping back yeah. to a wider shot, and it just that all of a sudden it's just a rush of you know emotion to you and with coupled with the sound i'm sure it's just like oh my god it's overbearing yeah it's like this beautiful music that that's you know building and building crescendoing and then all of a sudden it's like this dissonant sound and then it goes right back to her it's just oh but you're right her mother is an interesting character too because of yeah she's smothering and she's just you know manipulating controlling her like that cake scene is such a manipulation mm-hmm. of regaining control and making her feel guilty yeah. as a method of you know keeping that control and just w- looking at them you know almost side by side for one Natalie Portman's in all white and her mother is in all black mm-hmm. they both have their hair pulled back and they both wear the same necklace and that's you know towards the beginning I was like man is is her mother even real? She feels like a projection of her future self or something. Um, and as a method of trying to keep her on task, I don't know. I was going through all, all these head games myself. Uh, but no, she was real. I think, you know, she was clearly her own character, but it was just crazy how similar they were. And that of course stems from how controlling her mother is mm-hmm. and shaping her and molding her. And whenever she, Nina, the first time, you know, she gets a taste of the, the black, uh, the black swan, she puts on that tank top and it's layered even. It's just, yeah. but it's still just a taste. And it begins, yeah. like you said, it opens up that door and now she's fantasizing and uh, she's trying new things. And that's such an interesting like perspective on it because I hadn't considered that it was just so hard for her to control because she's 28 and she still has stuffed animals all over her room and sleeps in, you know, tidy whities mm-hmm. Like she is in no way an adult and her mother is completely stunted her growth yeah and yeah so whenever you're finally faced with having to recognize this other part of your psyche and your and yourself yeah how how would you even come close to figuring that out on the fly uh, in the face of so much tension and pressure of accomplishing your life dreams yeah and i totally don't believe her when she said that she wasn't a virgin Oh, right. Yeah. It was blatantly obvious, you know? (laughs) Yeah. She gives him that look. He's like, okay, well, good. She's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) And I love that you mentioned the the black and white. I mean, they, it it was obvious. It was like blatant uh, Lily versus Nina. Lily is always in black. Nina is always either in white or in pink uh, or a combination of both. Even, even so with the hair situation, like, like Lily's hair was dark and Nina's wasn't like, you know, blonde, but it wasn't, it wasn't black. Yeah. You they, know, they feel like they went through links to lighten that in contrast for sure. Yeah. So what did you think of Thomas, of Vincent Cassell's role? Man, that was interesting for the, until I started putting together the show notes, I honestly thought he was the, uh, the bad guy. 
Like mm-hmm. this is the guy who's cursing her instead of, you know, setting her free. But if you think in terms of who she wants to really be, mm-hmm. she wants to be the swan. And in that case, he's, he is, you know, the good guy. He's helping her realize her dreams and her, her biggest truth, you know, for her life. And so, uh, as a, his performance, like, man, I was kind of all over the place mm-hmm. because at certain times he definitely feels, I don't know, unsure or not necessarily unsure, but just over, overly doing it, I think. Yeah. But it also is like, super uncomfortable because i guess it did a good job too of like really throwing me off because at certain points i'm like you you get this predatory feeling over you you're like oh man this is a scenario where you have a person in power you know manipulating and trying to take advantage of uh the person this beautiful young performer who she needs him to realize her dreams that's a really easy position to manipulate in your favor if all you're after is you know lust or something uh foul and nefarious but at the end of it like i've especially the scene where he seduces her and he walks away that's gonna bring just everything to me i'm like okay no his motives are much more long term he's thinking about himself i mean he's still thinking about himself because he of course yeah. he's using her to create something iconic and amazing for his legacy yeah but it was still like reassuring to be like okay we they're all on the same page in terms of we're all trying to accomplish this goal together yeah and it's my job to get you there and by god i'm going to get you there <laughs> yeah yeah so it and i don't want to bring up another movie but it does it remind you at all of of Whiplash? Oh, sure. This okay. is I the mean, most natural. Yeah, uh, not not as extreme. Not as extreme, but right. uh, certain. You know, there's obsession and uh, manipulation involved, and right. and, yeah. a, and a and a and a guide like a guide mm-hmm. through that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, no, I think that's a supernatural. And that would have been the movie I would have recommended at the end of the episode. Right. If we hadn't already covered it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so I thought his character was really interesting. And I mean, I was super tempted to just say that those are the three main characters because they really are. They're they're the ones influencing everything. And I thought, you know, from a character standpoint, Thomas using Lily as a tool to get the best out of Nina, man, that's, it's. As a performer, I'm like, screw you, man. Like, let's just work on my art. <laughs> you know, you don't got to play all these psychological tactics on me. Mm-hmm. But as, you know, a, a director, director. <laughs> I'm like, sometimes whatever it takes, whatever man. it takes. <laughs> right. Right. At the end of the day, that's what people are going to remember. People are going to remember The Exorcist for being an amazing movie, not for, well, maybe to some extent, the hell that the director put them all through. But they're those people that show up, they don't know any of that. Yeah. They're just watching a ballet performance and they're like blown away. Mm-hmm. Even Lily was blown away, right? She goes yeah. to her mid show and it's like, Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but holy hell, you're blowing my mind out there. Yeah. That's it. See you later. And of course that was used also as a tool, a storytelling tool to reveal that she's alive and she never heard her in the first place. Yeah. But it's also like proof positive that Lily didn't really see herself as a, as that tool in the first place. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, as a director or, you know, a teacher of some kind, 
And we had this discussion back on the Whiplash episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that. Because it was definitely a heated one. Not a heated one, but a, a full discussion. Yeah, they really missed the heated discussion. Yeah, because we, yeah, we kept discussing offline. Yeah. Um, but it, it, those people have to exist. And if you, if you give guidance to an actor or to a dancer or a musician or an athlete or whatever, and you tell them, I see it in you. You have it. And you and you give them all the knowledge you have and they, you still can't pull it out of them. No words are going to do it. So what happens? They have to feel threatened that their goal that they've, you know, their their dream that they've worked their whole lives for is going to be taken away by either someone else or help by themselves, you know? And in order to do that, you have to do crazy stuff, you know? Maybe you throw a chair or maybe you you know, put someone else in their place for a while or something like that. I mean, shit, they do that in the NFL all the time, you know, quarterbacks, like it, you know, or any position, it just happens. If, if you don't perform, you lose your job. That's bottom line. And that's just the way the world works. And so for, for Nina, it was very specific, like, and very intentional. I feel like, I agree with you. His performance for me, I was in and out all the time. The, some of the deliveries were just, I don't know if it was the writing or if it was his acting, it just took me out of it completely. But in the moments where he was directing her dancing, yes, you, you were like, okay, I get this. Cause he's a dancer. Vincent Castle, you know, yeah, no. yeah, he's he's like holy crap, he's like a, a seasoned dancer. Cause watching that scene where he seduces her and they're doing the dancing, I'm like, holy crap this yeah. guy's killing it yeah well i mean you know um natalie portman studied and trained for oh, months yeah. you know yeah. but he he was already a seasoned dancer and he's studying and trained for months as well um so so he that he was like kind of in his element for this role right mm. so anytime he got talking about dance he just you know you he, believe him yeah you know he's, he's good and no but but i think you're right too you can have all the tools in the world which she did but that doesn't mean you're going to accomplish it. And so sometimes right. the, the role of the director is what he's talking about whenever they're, that conversation in the soundbite that we played is perfection isn't always about technique. Mm-hmm. It's not about control. It's sometimes about the exact opposite. It's about losing yourself and feeling that inspiration and letting it kind of move through you. And it's this mindless, unconscious state of being that sometimes you achieve, which is why I've always really, you know, loved and admired jazz musicians. It's because they're constantly living in this place of, I don't know what I'm going to play next, but it's going to be honest and it's Mm going to be true. And that's what I think some of the most beautiful dance to me is, is when it, yeah, the choreography and all that stuff is really beautiful, but I really connect to whenever I'm seeing dancers who are just really in the moment and they don't know what they're going to do next, but it's all honest and it's all realized at the same time. And it all just makes sense when it happens. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're trying to preconceive inspiration, it's, it, it's always going to ring false. You know, yeah. it's, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, it's got to be this state of being that you're so connected and deeply invested in your art that you trust yourself to execute it. And his job was to get her out of her head. And I've had moments like this, even directing you. I remember one time whenever you knew all the lines, you had everything that you wanted to say. And you know, you just kind of kept stumbling here and there. And it's because you were two in your head and it's a fine tuned thing where you got to pick that moment of, 
are they really you know stuck in their head right now or are they really just trying to get the lines down and if you can pick up pick out those moments i just and i remember at the time i asked you i was like hey what's what's your wife's birthday and you were like um yeah, it's uh, November, you know, and uh, November 26, yeah. 1983. <laughs> I was not going to say win. it, but okay. It's fine. <laughs> but and then I was like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah, everybody ready and action. And yeah. then you just nailed it. The exact next take because you were just so caught up in your head. We do that all the time as performers. Whenever you just, you know, you're, you're thinking and sometimes you begin to overthink. And she is so clearly overthinking because she walks into this meeting at the beginning that uh, we didn't play, but she says, Hey, last night I perfected the coda, which is like the end sequence. He's like, I don't give a shit about the coda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point here. Yeah. We're on the bigger ideas and you're not getting it. Yeah. And yeah. So a good director is, you know, not just saying, is she executing, but is she in the right frame of mind to execute the way I want her to execute? And he's clearly after that mm-hmm. through all his, you know, creepy techniques. Yeah. <laughs> And, and can I just, can I, I totally agree. Totally agree. But I I also want to address this before I forget watching it throughout the film. There is such a progression in her dancing. I'm not even a dancer, right? I'm a horrible dancer. (laughs) I flail with the best of them. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, but even not being a, a seasoned dancer, I would, I would, I would say that I could tell, and I think that most dancers could tell, she was so brilliant in this film, the way that she moved, like, and in her performance, she went from an obviously timid dancer, which you could tell. You could tell not just by the way she was moving, but also the expressions on her face with the movements, right? Which is, I think, also part of the cinematography. I feel like the camera just was in the right place at the right time all the time, you know, in her spins and and to catch her looks and stuff like that. But throughout the film, she starts getting a little bit more confident or I don't even know if confidence is a word, a little bit more of her real of that other side of her starts coming out. Right. So the more she pushes her mother away, the more honest Mm. to, to your point, she starts dancing so that finally, when we do see the black swan, there's a, it's a whole different style of dancing. If you watch the first, her first dance scene to the, that black swan scene, I feel like I want to be Lily go backstage and tell her, Holy shit, you're blowing me away because I'm watching it and I'm thinking, wow, that is a real ballerina dancing so beautifully. And before at the beginning, I'm thinking that's an actress learning to dance ballet. You know, it's a totally different thing. And that's obviously part of the film, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, it takes a really great actress to pull that shit off. So, so true because yeah, the easier you make that contrast, the before and after Mm -hmm. the easy it is to be like, Oh wow, she's really in it. Whereas, you know, for someone on her level, the, the change might be more subtle, um, that you just feel emotionally more than you can see. I wouldn't really know. I have, I've only been to a few ballets. Um, well, I, I think you, you spot bullshit. Yeah. I think if you went back and like watched for that, you'd be able to see, Yeah, you know, watch the beginning, watch the middle and watch the end of just dance sequences of hers. And you'd be like, Oh yeah, it's just, it's, it's obvious. And it's great directing. Aronofsky just like knocked it out of the park. But to your point, I mean, a lot, a lot of that camera work, man, 
is they're probably performing ballet themselves to a certain extent. Totally. In order wow, to keep everything, point. you know, in frame, you're having to move in tandem with her. Yeah. If she's bouncing up and down, guess what? You got to bounce up and down. And so there's a certain amount of grace that I'm sure the the camera operator was having to insert if he wasn't a dancer himself, which I would be willing to bet he probably was. So as it, speaking to that as a cinematographer, I think all of this entire film was handheld. Yeah. Right? I'm, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of anything on there's sticks. There's maybe there. just a couple shots that could have been uh, on sticks where, like, they do these wide shots of the studio or the, uh, whatchamacallit, not the theater. I don't remember a ton of wide shots in, of this theater, but there might have been, I mean, literally just a handful, three mm. or four maybe, and even yeah. those probably were still handheld. So what do you, what is the, the purpose of that? Do you feel like, I mean, it, it's like, obviously it's the fly on the wall kind of thing, but like, is it really? Yeah. You know? So I think it's interesting because, uh, going handheld like this, it's loose. It's imprecise. It's very unballet, right? Cause yeah, yeah. ballet is all grace, but the black swan is unpredictable. And I think that's who we want to be. We want to be unpredictable and imprecise and in the moment. It also adds an element of surrealness to the effect shots because when something feels that grounded and, you know, immediate, whenever you start, start to add in these surreal elements like, uh, skin being pulled off your finger or, or feathers coming out of her arms. Yeah. And, yeah. It really helps sell those effects because it's like, Oh my God, you know, this feels like real life, which, uh, you know, just to back up for a second, they shot this on super 16 millimeter film, which they shot it on a film stock that I don't really have access to anymore, which sucks because they shot it on Fuji. Fuji film used to make their own motion picture uh, film and they no longer do. Um, but there's still some Eterna you can find out there. It's people's freezers and refrigerators that they just kind of bought up. And is that how you store film the freezers? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And the nice thing about shooting on film is it's textured, right? You have all this grain. And so it kind of adds a, a gritty, unpolished element to it. It feels personal and low budget. There's also just this grounded aesthetic. Um, and it helps us sell the world as this real practical place that we're in. Which makes the scary shit really scary. Really dude. helps contrast all that stuff. Yeah. Because you have all these visual and practical effects that suddenly start to, you know, if everything else is real and then you have this incredible bird, like that opening scene, man, is oh, so man. cool. The prologue. Yeah. When he spins and suddenly he's the bird. Yeah. God. And that texture of his skin, that makeup, all of it's freaking cool. Now, caveat uh, to Super 16 is that they actually shot all the subway scenes on digital. Um, they shot those on Canon 7D and Canon 1D Mark IVs. And that's just to keep everything low profile. I don't think they were like locking off those subways. Yeah, no, no. That was all like we're grabbing shots right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I love it. Gorilla style yeah, shoot, major film shooting. Freaking cool. That's that's my kind of production right Same, there. Same, absolutely. So combining that with the handheld really helps to add uh, just a lot of personal grounded touches to it so that, yeah, everything has a certain emotional quality to it whether you're talking about the texture of the film or the movement of the of the camera itself all adds a lot of emotional grit to it yeah which of course plays perfectly into the subject matter and is really helping influence 
the way you're perceiving everything that's happening. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of a lot of uh, directors today they love locked off stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, steady shots, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I I prefer that in a lot of ways. You know, as a viewer, you know, my eyes get tired half the time. You know. And when I, this movie started, I was like, oh, shit, it's going to be all handheld. This is, <laughs> this is going to be hard. Emotionally you know? exhausting. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, a movie like this needs that. And for all you new filmmakers out there or filmmakers with no money, it's okay mm-hmm. to do handheld stuff. Don't think that you need a tripod to do something that make it look modern. Like, Do it on purpose with an intention because right, yeah. it's all specifically built for this film. Because it's this kind of David Fincher effect. David Fincher's camera moves are all super precise. And they're very uh, sterile and observational. um, As opposed to this. This is, we're trying to inhabit her world. We're trying to be there with her and feel her emotional state. And so if you do it with a specific intention, you can get so much more mileage instead of just saying, Hey, look how pretty my content is. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of that? Like, yeah. Yeah. Make something that is emotionally reflective of the film you're trying to make, or at least uh, has some technical and symbolic bearings, you know, on mm-hmm. why you're doing it. Yeah. Well said. It's interesting, too, going back to cinematography, there's a really big use of mirrors and reflections. Like every scene. All the time. All the time. There's probably very few shots that don't contain a mirror in it. And. That's really important just because mirrors and reflections are a look into who we truly are. That's what you do when, right? You're looking at your reflecting, your reflection and reflecting back on who you are. And for her, like she's a mess. She doesn't know who she is or she's afraid of what that may be to your point about, you know, how do you deal with this dark side that you've never allowed to live and tried to understand. And for her, obviously she's coming to grips with all that. And I love just the symbolism that they're, that Aronofsky uses using just something simple as mirrors and reflections, which was painstaking on his part Yeah, because so many shots he's crossing in front of that with his camera, Yep, which means he's having to paint all that back out. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that was a simple fix of, Oh yeah. You know, we're just, I don't know, make him invisible. (laughs) Yeah, no, in the rehearsal hall specifically, you know, they're on her and then they, they pan over to, uh, to Thomas Mm -hmm. and it's obvious that you're looking straight at a mirror and you don't see the camera, the camera up. It's, you know, he must be in green or something. I don't know. Who knows? But the, the, the mirrors, absolutely, man. I'm so glad you brought that up. The one shot specifically of her being measured, Mm. and she has a mirror in front of her and a mirror in back behind her. So, you know, you get that whole like infinity effect. And so she sees herself and right behind herself, there's a creepy one of her, (laughs) but all of the, all the others are normal. It's just that dark side peeking out a little bit and her noticing it, you know, just this little moment of, Oh shit, that's there. And then it's gone. She's looking around like, what was that? Oh, okay. And then it's gone. And then, you know, there's these little moments everywhere, but that one in particular was scary as crap. Because the first time it happens, you're like, what the hell? Yeah, what's happening right now? And what's happening to her? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so good. But to dive into building anxiety and tension, for one, you know, the cinematography of it is there are just close-ups galore everywhere, right? And it's really reflective of not just her emotional state, but her environment, it's claustrophobic. It's restricting. 
much like the way she's living her life with her mom and in some ways the way she sees her her life in ballet and using all these close-ups really builds anxiety because it's putting us in people's personal space and it's such a natural segue into anxiety because just imagine standing you know six, six inches away from someone as you're talking to them that's really uncomfortable at least in western society <laughs> like that is not where we live and we're like back the f up like right now and so that's just a perfect way to kind of already start to build this tension and anxiety by restricting our world you know view as well as just getting us so close into our personal space but there's so many close-ups of her specifically which for one helps us get really connected emotionally with our character you know her happiness things that she's celebrating and more specifically her worries and uh, fears and tension like we read it so clearly on her face especially for one natalie portman just has for me i really don't know of another actor out there who has as expressive of a face like her eyebrows her cheeks her mouth like everything in her is just super expressive and it's and it's not overdone. It, it feels so organic and real. And I buy into everything she's doing. But it's also really, really enhanced because her hair is cleared away from her face. It's up in that bun. So now we can really see every single facial uh, movement and emotion. And it reads so loud and clear. But it's also interesting the way they frame her because she seems to usually be framed apart from other characters. So we avoid these two shots where you would have two characters in a, in a single shot. And instead, it's usually not that she's never in the same frame as another character, but those two shots, usually she's not going to be super close to anybody. And if so, it's probably pretty quick. They don't stay there for very long. And even those most of those shots where there is someone in uh, her frame, they're usually really far away. Like even whenever she's really close to them, the way they frame it, it'll be like uh, she's in the same room with Thomas and behind her is a reflection of Thomas and he's like 10 feet away in the reflection. And so they're still keeping her distant from everyone else. And so she's really just disconnected and distant from the world around her. She's in her own bubble and it's really isolating her, uh, which is a very powerful, you know, psychological effect whenever you don't feel like someone is connecting with the people around them. And there's still more close-ups right on the stresses of the body Mm-hmm. Holy crap, they show like these close-ups of the feet bending unnaturally, the knees as she stumbles, like we see these close-ups of the knees, and we get just this really good sense of how aggressive and brutal it is to practice ballet and to show, you know, this is what it is required to be graceful and elegant. Like that's horrific, <laughs> like yeah. to see the brutality of such a graceful uh, dance. Oh my God, it's horrifying yeah. to see you know what they do to their bodies. And that alone just builds anxiety as you're seeing stuff that you would never in a thousand years, you know, put yourself through. And now you're watching these people do it and you're like, how long before any of that breaks? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think uh, some of that was probably him paying homage to the actual art, mm-hmm. right? And Absolutely. Like, like really showing, you know, not just what you know, like the effort you have to put in to be at the top, but what it takes just to do it in the first place, you know, mm-hmm. like her, her toenail breaking, Ooh. you know, it's just, it's another day for her, a ballerina. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A ballerina's feet are jacked. Yep. You know? And it, it 
builds just this rational fear of injury the whole time. Mm -hmm. And especially whenever you're using close-ups because we assume importance on close-ups. So if you're showing, you know, her feet up close as she's spinning and bending, we kind of begin to assume that that's going to break. Like she's, when is it going to happen now? Yeah. But they also enhance it to your point earlier using sound and audio, because if you suddenly remove ambient noises and you increase the Foley sounds of the image that you're watching of her foot spinning and you can kind of hear the, the tendons or the bones kind of yeah. bending a little bit. Oh yeah. Now you're really impressed, you know, with the importance of the image you're seeing, which makes you just hyper aware of everything you're watching right now. Yeah. And that's horrific. And of course they also use a lot of built in visual tension, like the, uh, the scene where her mother's clipping her nails. Like anytime you have this fast, careless cutting with like the music speeding up and you're cutting away, you don't get to see what they're doing. And even worse in her case, seeing what she is doing, you're like, Jesus, stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then of course everything is really sold through Natalie's performance uh, because it doesn't take much whenever you've already done all the work visually just to say, ow, like, you're like, yeah, ow, stop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go away. <laughs> she's like, she's like the female Ryan Gosling in that regard, right? Yeah. You, know, you don't have to do much, you know? <laughs> yeah, just a little <laughs> just bit. Just a little bit. That's all you need. <laughs> and it's, and it's perfect. Like all these things add up to just an amazing confluence of we're steadily. And as you pointed out, just the sound design itself is constantly working towards tension and anxiety, just these stress inducing noises. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's the wood or yeah, the, yeah. just the ominous tones that he's inserting cracks are, of tendons and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you're just constantly on edge through a, a complete annihilation of your senses. And that's, and that's also mixed with the whole, yeah, you know, like the, 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 the bird sounds. Yeah. Cause story wise, you're, you're also off put by not knowing where this is all going. Yeah. And so it all combines to just completely put you on edge, especially the camera work, because as you're, you know, bouncing around, that's a very unsteady way to view the world. And especially someone who's going through so much anxiety, uh, you can't help but connect and identify with her anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's all I got. So what did you think? Dude, man, I love this movie. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah, I really do. All that to say. Yeah. Like, it's the kind of thing that I've been wanting to study for a while. And every, and I said, this is probably the third time, but the more I thought about it, I was like, no, I've probably seen this four or five times now yeah. at least. Yeah. And it'll probably be more on the regular rotation of something. Well, maybe not regular, but if I could throw it on every, you know, four or five months just to kind of revisit it because his use of tension is any of his films, like whether you're talking about pie requiem for a dream mm -hmm. mother. I mean, mother's the mother of them all, but oh, dear uh, God. it's there. He's just a master in creating suspense. And if you can do that, you can get people to care about why they're suspended yeah. and you can make them invest themselves into the outcome to yeah. some extent, you know? Yeah. And that's a, really amazing skill set because I don't know that I can get anybody to care about my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. It's an art, man. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the goal, right? Yeah. What did you think? care about it. Uh, yeah, man, I, I loved it. I mean, despite, you know, the few moments that I was taken out from the story from uh, Thomas's, some of Thomas's lines, mm -hmm. like when he was talking 
about, about when Beth uh, throws herself in front of the car. Yeah. That scene was just like way too explanatory, ex- explanatory and, you know, just either didn't even need to be there and the writing was bad or uh, it just wasn't delivered well. Yeah. Um, I love, sorry. No, uh, you're not. Yeah. I, I love the, um, Aronofsky's visual style is so appealing to me. For one, it looks super uh, lo-fi. It's yeah. not. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of work that goes into it, not just the lighting, but the choreography of some of these shots. Because there's some really long shots, like during oh, yeah. the performance. Oh, yeah. She goes from on stage to off stage to back on stage before cutting. Yeah. And that could last, you know, a solid four or five minutes, uh, which is a lot whenever you have an audience out there. And, and you're rolling film. Rolling film. Yeah. Yeah. In one roll of film, like 11 minutes. So if you want to do a six or seven minute scene, that's you're, you're just killed an entire roll of film. Yeah. Um, wow. Before you got to reload. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, I, I, I love the film. I identify with, with several different ways you could look at it. And so it was enjoyable watching it a second time, which I hoped that it would have been when we, when we decided we were going to do it. I, I, I was excited. I was like, okay, this is going to, it's heavy, but in a good way, I, I wonder if I'm going to see it the same way. And I did not see it the same way as I did the first one. The first time I saw uh, Thomas as the bad guy and I didn't really notice her mother as much the first time mm-hmm. as I did this time. I mean, I noticed her. Right, right. You can't not. But the impression after. Yeah, it was, about it after it was creepier years. this time than before. It was uh, it was heavier on Nina's side to me the death was more meaningful. Like it was much more, it, it's a better movie the second time around. And I already liked it. Yeah. So, you know, that being, that being said, I, I still probably would give it an eight and a half. I want to give it a nine, but just those few scenes, you know, with Thomas that just, I, I was taken out of, I have to I have to take that into account, but it is definitely worth watching a second time. If you've seen it once a hundred percent, I mean, yeah. you should, after you listen to this, if you've only seen this movie once, go watch it again. And with these things in mind, because it'll, it'll really be eye opening as to how to tell a very simple story, you know, in a, in a way that is, I mean, it's deep, but it's not, it's not so deep that it's like, like tiresome. Do you yeah. Know what I mean, yeah, it's crazy how layered this is for such a simple story because at the, at the, you know, top level of it is, it's a ballerina who wants to be an amazing ballerina. Yeah. And what she goes through to do it. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. then you start to work in not just, you know, the, the symbolism and the, the replaying of the story itself, but then also the idea of, obsession and uh, smothering and uh, adulthood and growing up and the ability to, like you said, your perspective was one I hadn't considered before uh, about, you know, identifying and understanding and allowing this darker side of you to have a place in uh, your art and in your life and to be able to wield it in a way that benefits you. And there's so many, I mean, I really love the obsession side of it, of this woman who's as dedicated as you can possibly be, possibly be to her dream or at least the dream she was given. I mean, yeah, there's just a ton of things happening for something that's keeping it, you know, sexual repression and uh, coming into your own. God, I mean, there's a lot going on for such a very straight line narrative because this thing is really just kind of moving from A to B the entire time. And holy crap. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons why I see this different is because I didn't have kids. 
mm. first time I saw it. Yeah. And now I have kids and it's the whole goal of being a parent is being able to teach your kids how to make good decisions and teaching them about the world. This, this mother did neither of those things. Yeah. And because of that, she couldn't handle her own self, her own, who you know, like who she is. She didn't know half of herself that existed until she needed it. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit, I, I needed to be working with this the whole time, my whole life. And I'm just now realizing that this exists. And I so watching it this time, I, th- I you know, I'm putting myself in that mother's shoes and I'm thinking, God, just I want to teach my kids the world ain't fair. Yep. You're not going to get a trophy if you lose. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, like those, those types of things, but at the same time, be loving about yeah. it, you know? Uh, so yeah. So I see different place in life. You see the movie differently, but fair enough. I would probably give it a nine. Um, okay. and cool. those are the same things that keep me from giving it, you know, a perfect 10 mm. or some of those moments that just slightly pull me out. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's, that's said, like, it's, yeah, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> so what are you going to recommend for the week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my recommendation is another Aronofsky movie, Ooh. The Fountain. Yes. Nicely done. Yes, 2006, The Fountain. It's one of the most beautiful movies you could watch. Yes. It's gorgeous. Yeah. We should cover that one at some point. Absolutely. I think Please. this is our first Aronofsky movie we've done. I think so, yeah. Dang, that's cool. Crazy, because he's one of my favorite writer-directors. Yeah. My recommendation is from another one of my favorite writer-directors. It's a movie called Enemy. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal, and it is a mind-bending. Oh, if you like man. psychological thrillers, good, good call. Enemy is going to be one that you'll really, it'll make an, a, an impression on you. <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting film. Yeah. Nice. Stay tuned for next week as we dive into a new film. This is episode 69, and so we are going to be doing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, baby. Yeah, it's streaming on Amazon Prime and Hulu, in case you want to check it out. And don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes, leave us a note. If you'd like us to talk about a thing or uh, something like let us know. And if you want to comment on this episode specifically to be like, yo, y'all missed the boat. There is no ballet at all. She's just a crazy person in the same asylum or whatever. Like you can share your thoughts. <laughs> that would be crazy. Mind, <laughs> mind blown. You can do so at the slash black swan. And today's quote of the day comes from Pablo Picasso. Art is the lie that enables us to realize the truth. So true. I love that. So true. Yeah, I mean, if and there's always this kind of wrestling match going between uh, art imitating life or is life imitating art. And obviously it's a bit of a circle because, you know, we get inspired by art and therefore we live life a different way. And art is such a great, you know, to borrow from Black Swan. It's a it's a reflection of society. I think my favorite forms of art anyway are just reflections of society. And it's it's a way for us to peer into who we really are and ways that maybe we can improve um, ourselves, our society in a variety of ways. So, yeah, the, the lie aspect here is that it, it's not real. Right. So the dance isn't the real life. It's a dance. However, in the dance, we see reflections of ourselves or of people that we know or of the world around us. And, and so because of that, we're able to tap into that, right? It's just, it's a beautiful, delicate way to help people and help ourselves realize the immediate things that are right around us yeah. that are hard to recognize because 
<laughs> like your clothes, your mind tells doesn't tell you all the time to feel your clothing. It's because I tell, told you you're wearing a shirt, you feel the shirt. But if I hadn't said it, your mind doesn't notice it. The same beauty that's around us all the time, we don't notice it because it would just be overwhelming if we did. So art is a way to call those things out. It's like, like it's a it's a beautiful quote, and and I think that I mean Picasso is probably the <laughs> <laughs> the greatest the greatest you know artist that could say something like this. The the most believable artist that could say something. Like Absolutely, this. yeah, it was a good call on that, man. Thanks, man. So yes, thank you guys for joining us. I man, I had a great time. Same, love this. This is one of my favorite episodes. Same. I feel like, uh, like Wes said, man, guys, we need reviews. We need uh, uh, you guys to reach out to us. We love hearing all of your your notes to us and getting your feedback and all that stuff. So please review us, share us with your friends, and all that stuff. Uh, we want to keep doing this, and uh, as long as we know you're listening, yeah. we're gonna keep doing it. Absolutely. Join us next week. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Looking forward to that. And until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm -hmm.